I listen to American Timelines. American Timelines by History for Jerks. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. History for Jerks. History, history for Jerks. Samantha, that's a hippie. I recommend listening to American Timelines by History for Jerks while you poop. So now I'm obsessed with time. Probably. Who cares? That's the great thing about getting old is you don't give a fuck anymore what people think about you. You give a fuck. Yep. Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. Specifically episode 101 of American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I don't give a shit anymore. And this is (laughs) the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things from the past. Yeah, we go uh, year by year and month by month and day by day and tell you all the stuff that would have gone viral had viral things been able to go viral because there would have been no internet. Or something. Or YouTube or any of that shit. So nobody knows any of this shit. So we're telling you what would have gone viral. Okay, so... Tonight we're talking about 1967 still. Oh yeah, we are. And then I'll tell you what happens while somebody's getting murdered. What else happens simultaneously? Mm-hmm. What shows are on? Which is fascinating. Yeah, what historical things are happening as somebody's getting choked. Or raped. Or, or raped. Strangled. While rapes are happening, also what else is happening? All right. What is up? the first item up for bid? Well, we are not bidding on anything. That's not how this podcast works. I know you don't understand after 100 episodes, but we're in. We left off, and we finished up April. Yes. No, March, and we're starting in That's April right. here. Yes. Um, and so the first thing I have in April of 1967 mm-hmm. is April 4th. So we're already skipping the first through the third. All right. Everybody can do math. Okay. Just telling you. I'm just telling Nobody you. Nobody needs to... All right, what is it? The popular Peanuts comic strip entered a new era with mm-hmm. the introduction of a new character that would later be given the name Woodstock. Oh, really? The tiny, wasn't until, yeah, there the till then. Huh? tiny bird who landed on Snoopy would become the dog sidekick, and the comic would gradually shift from the misfortunes of Charlie Brown to the adventures of a dog and a bird. My Aunt Jane always loved Woodstock. Why? I don't know. She when she Because she was a teenager when I was a kid. Maybe she'd go to the beach with she her had and like, ask her. I'm going to. I might. We'll say, why do you love Mikhail Burzhnikov and Woodstock so much? Yeah, what's your deal with Woodstock? <laughs> and also that same day, three things happened. Johnny Carson quit his job as the Tonight Show host mm-hmm. the day after NBC had broadcast a rerun of his uh, while well, he he had taken a break because the after strike was in early yeah. 1967. Yeah. And so he was honoring the picket line by not mm-hmm. performing. And they aired a rerun without having negotiating a fee with him in advance oh, to do that mm-hmm. so he's like fuck you i quit oh um somehow he got they got him back though well singer jimmy dean and bob newhart took over during his uh hosting during his duties mm-hmm. jimmy dean the delicious sausage guy uh, so weird but carson would receive a, a raise and they wooed him back on april 24th his salary went from seven thousand five hundred dollars a week mm-hmm to 20 grand a week oh my god holy shit yeah in 1967 yeah wow it was a 25 million dollar show according to him then but yeah but um, still that is a lot of money i know in the 60s for mm-hmm. 7500 bucks is all he was making before that yeah 
Good on Johnny. And then April 6th, 1967, making the largest ransom in U.S. history up to that time, mm-hmm. $250,000 was paid by the president of a bank in Beverly Hills, California, for the safe release of his 11-year-old son, who had been kidnapped from his home three days earlier. Really? Yes. A few days sh- a few days short of three years later, Ronald Lee Miller, mm-hmm. an investigator for the IRS, would be indicted for the crime before the three-year statute of limitations expired. That's crazy. There's a statute of limitations for kidnapping. I know. After his conviction, Miller would be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. None of the ransom money could ever be found. Whoa. That's crazy. You should have done that story. Well, you didn't tell me about it. I just found it today. Just a minute ago. I just found it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't hear about that. Go look it up. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, you did. Now you did. No, I didn't. And then April 10th, 1967, the after strike was settled just in time for the 39th Annual Academy Awards. Oh. Hosted by Bob Hope. Bob Hope again. And telecast at 10 p.m. on ABC. Academy Awards went to a man for all seasons for Best Picture. Mm Mm-hmm. And Best Director and Best Actor, Paul Schofield. Elizabeth Taylor won the Best Actress Award for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes. What did you think about that film? Which I recently watched. Uh, It's fucked up. Yes, it is. That's a crazy-ass movie. So it makes it extra funny to act it out in the living room in front of our kids. Yeah, so you and I definitely should act it out. The kids could be in it. They could be the younger couple. That's true. We'll make them. Or we'll just say those lines to them until they... See what they say? Crack. Um, also on April 10th, 1967, mm-hmm. oral arguments began in the landmark Supreme Court of the U.S. case, Loving versus Virginia, challenging the Commonwealth of Virginia's statutory scheme to prevent marriages between persons solely on the basis of, of racial, racial classification. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Uh, two attorneys from the ACLU, Philip Hirschkop and Bernard S. Cohen, Bernie mm-hmm. Cohen, appeared on behalf of Richard Loving, a white man, and his wife, Mildred Jeter Loving, an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. The court would rule unanim- unanimously in favor of the Lovings on June 12th, and interracial marriage would become legal in all of the United States. On June 12th, yeah. Yeah, not till June, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, and then on four, uh, Tuesday, April 11th, 1967, Walter Cronkite returned to the CBS Evening News for the first time since the start of the AFTRA strike on March 28th. Okay. During his absence, Arnold Zanker, the network's manager of news programming, delivered the news, announcing <laughs> each day that he was sitting in for Cronkite. The the manager? The, yeah, the hey, network manager. Hey, Arthur, we can't find anybody. Just the, Why don't you do you it? You go do it. He's probably terrible. But uh, Cronkite, on his return, opened by joking, Good evening, this is Walter Cronkite sitting in for Arnold Zanker. It's good to be back. Also during the strike, ABC producer Daryl Griffith, substitute for a regular anchor Peter Jennings, mm-hmm. and Chet, Chet Huntley operated without David Brinkley during NBC's nightly Hunter and Brinkley report. Oh, sweet. And then on April 13th, 1967, Gary L. Scott, a science teacher at the high, sc- at the high school in Jacksboro, Tennessee, mm-hmm. lost his job for violating a law prohibiting the teaching of evolution. Oh, wow. Yep. Scott was dismissed by the decision of the Campbell County Board of Education one day after the Tennessee House of Representatives had voted 58 to 27 to repeal the Butler Act of 1925. The action which revived memories of the famous Scopes Monkey Trial mm-hmm. would lead to the successful repeal so, wait a minute. of that in Tennessee Code May, on May 17th. May 17th would be turned back. 
So wait a minute. This one made it illegal to teach evolution or legal to teach evolution? This one, it was illegal. Yeah. The Scopes Monkey Trial, I think, made it legal to teach evolution. Right. So it was, it was, it was illegal. So he got fired. Mm-hmm. But he was dismissed one day after the Tennessee House of Representatives had voted to repeal the Butler Act. Uh, What's the Butler Act? I think that's what made it illegal to teach it. Okay. Um, and they would, so when they voted to repeal it, it would eventually lead to the actual repealing of it on May 17th. Then they voted, but then it doesn't yeah. take effect till May 17th. Okay. But he started teaching it. Like right after, like the day after they voted. Oh, I guess. okay. Probably thinking it was okay. Seems like, from what I can gather from how this is written on Wikipedia. Well, we'll get. Which anybody can fucking write on Wikipedia. Yeah, so. that's true. No, I guess not anybody, because I've guess tried. We could have tried to back up that source, but that's all right. Back that ass up. Yeah, well, I didn't have a lot of time. Bro. I know. I know, bro. sweetheart. I'm not going to criticize. Now, what is it? Make it up. Do you want me to do more research, or do you want me to parent our child and tell her to go to bed? Oh, here we go. Which is it? Here we go. Which is it? You better get off your ass and parent a little bit. You know, bit. if we're going to be a married couple doing a podcast, occasionally it's got to get uncomfortable. That's true. You know, there's got to be occasional... skeletons in the closet. Yeah, occasional audio of us... Uh, being, Air, airing being, our dirty laundry. Yes, and some of us being intimate. No, I don't know about that. Yeah, come on. No, stop it. All right, that's gross. What's next? Just kidding. I was, I was kissing the dog. April 15, 1967, Nancy Sinatra and Frank Sinatra take over the number one spot on the Billboard charts with something stupid. At the same time, a group of 20 U.S. servicemen marched at the forefront of a parade from New York Central Park to the United Nations Plaza. Former servicemen? Former servicemen. Oh, like in protest? Behind a banner, Vietnam Veterans Against the War, as yeah. part of at least 100,000 protesters in the demonstration organized by the String Spring Mobilization mm-hmm. Committee. I think that was Ron. The war wasn't that know. was that Ron Kovic or whatever his name was. Uh, the guy from Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, I don't know what the guy's name is, but this was this marked a new development in which American vets would join the anti-war movement. Uh, six of the veterans would form an organization of the same name after the march. This was described as the largest peace demonstration in decades in Manhattan. It lasted for hours, and later in the day, a group called Veterans for Peace in Vietnam would be among 60,000 protesting the war at Kezar Stadium, stadium in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. When the New York marchers reached Sheep Meadow in Central Park, a group of protesters set fire to an American flag, mm-hmm. and the Associated Press photograph ran in newspapers across the U.S., prompting the Congress to pass the first federal prohibition against flag burning. That's such a dumb law. Yeah. I mean, wasting your it's just wasting your time. I mean, it's I'm not saying I'm for flag burning. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't I don't this is where you and I are going to disagree. Uh well, I'm not saying I'm for flag These burning. These colors don't run. I'm just saying what a dumb thing. Who cares? It doesn't mean anything. It's a piece of fabric. Yeah. I mean, it is People get crazy about I it. I know they like, do. You can't even throw away a flag. That's all torn up and beat up. Like you have to like fold it and bless it and pray over it and, and cry stick over it. In your it and ass? Show, no, there's not. You don't shove <laughs> it up your ass. But you got to do like all kinds of rain dances and songs yeah. and and stories and bring all your you aunts and do. uncles over and they each have to wipe uh, their tears on the flag. No, they have to do the locomotion on it. All right, what's next? 
Sunday, April 16th, 1967, Aretha Franklin's signature song, Respect, was released by Atlantic Records and would reach number one by June. Mm -hmm. Although Otis Redding had written and recorded the song in 1965, Franklin added the chorus, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what sold it. Find out what I mean to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's right. And then Monday, April 17th, the Joey Bishop show premiered okay. at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the ABC television network as a challenge to The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson. Filling the same role that Ed McMahon served on The Carson Show, Regis Philbin was Bishop's oh, announcer was and sidekick. I didn't know that. Yeah. Bishop's first guest was California Governor Ronald Reagan, mm. followed by Debbie Reynolds, Danny Thomas, and Noel Cannon, a lady traffic court jurist. <clears throat> I wonder what that was about. Also that same day, the last original episode of the CBS sitcom Gilligan's Island was telecast. The last one? The last one. Oh, the one where they get their way, find their way there. Is that what happens at the end? I think it was like a two-hour night special. I want to. I, I thought, thought it was the in the seventies. It was a porn. The last one. Oh, stop it! We're getting close to the seventies, but no. And I then thought it was. I it thought I remember in syndication it. Syndication and uh, whatever, but I think they had a reunion in the seventies. Is what I'm remembering. Well, you're known for misremembering. That's. I know that's true. April nineteenth, I think, is the day on this one. Mm-hmm. This is this is my long one. So all right, bear with me. Wednesday, April nineteenth. 1967 and just stop me if it's boring but i read through this and i cut it down as much as i could but i was on the edge of my seat with this i think it's interesting okay you might hate it okay okay but this is about the first woman to run the boston marathon okay katherine switzer mm-hmm. and this is comes from her uh an excerpt from her memoir marathon mm-hmm. woman it appeared in the Runner's World magazine in April 2007. And I don't know if you know that uh, how important the Boston Marathon is. The Boston, Boston, Boston Marathon? To, yeah, Boston. I used to say Boston, but it's Boston. 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 Park the car. Uh, I don't know if you know where people, like what a big deal it is. I Not, I for mean. For runners. It's no, like, no I, I have no. So from what I gather. Yeah. I don't know either. I'm not. I'm You're not, not a runner. Lord knows I'm not a runner. <laughs> All I'm, right. I just pulled a muscle thinking about running. Yeah. Let me take a sip of this hop slam first. Oh, God. Come on. Gross. Stop. Anyway. Oh, it's just sick. So apparently the Boston Marathon is the thing. It's like the, yeah. the, the grand poobah. Uh, the granddaddy That's of like them the all. It's like the grand mecca. It's like the. Yes. I get uh, it. The. Koopa. The creme de la creme. The creme, the, the creme de la creme. Who's the ending boss in Mario Brothers? He's like the... Why do you always ask me those kind of questions? Chief Koopa. Chief Koopa of runs. Runnings. Okay. Running marathons, right? All right. So it's a big deal, right? Got it. So Catherine Switzer mm-hmm. is... Uh, so she starts... She wants to train to run. She's mm-hmm. not even thinking about the marathon yet. So she goes with Arnie. Arnie Briggs. I was a 19-year-old journalism student at Syracuse University, and since there was no women's running team there, or anyone else for that matter, or anywhere else for that matter, I began training unofficially with the men's cross-country team. Mm -hmm. That's where I met 50-year-old Artie, who had trained for years with the team. 
Arnie was actually the university mailman and a veteran of 15 Boston marathons. He was excited to see a woman, the first, come out to run and took Slowpoke Me under his training wing. Uh, he's always going on and on about all the Boston marathons he's run. Boston mm-hmm. Marathon, this Boston Marathon, this Boston, Boston, all the Bostons. They were great. And so finally she's like, you know what? Let's stop talking about the Boston Marathon and let's run one. Like, let me run one. And he's mm-hmm. like, no way. A woman can never run it. Mm-hmm. He gets all mad. A woman couldn't do it. Like a frail woman. Mm-hmm. They're not strong enough. They're not limber enough, whatever it is. And. She said, but look at me. I've been training with you. I'm really good. And then he was like, he yells at her. He's like, no way. A dame could never do it. And then he said, you know, if a woman ever could, it would be you. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think you can. <clears throat> but if you want to try it, you know, you'd have to prove to me that mm-hmm. you can. Let's run the 26 miles. That's how much a marathon is. 26 miles. Jesus. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. That's That's how far it is for me to commute to work. Oh my God, that's a marathon. Yeah, that's me uh, running to work. I'm just tired right now thinking about that. Like that takes me forever to drive it. I can't imagine. It's like four and a half hours or some shit. Oh Lord, of running your worst favorite thing. Yeah, the thing I hate. The imagine most. four and a half hours of shoving a porcupine up your butt. Same thing. Same difference. Right. Same thing. Nothing different. Same about exact it. thing. Anybody yep. who runs a marathon also puts porcupine up their butts. Anyway, um, so the next day they run, mm-hmm. and. She does it. She finishes the 26 miles. Yeah. And he's pooped. And mm-hmm. she's like, just to make sure that I can definitely do this, let's run an extra five. Whoa. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess. And he doesn't really want to. She, He barely makes the five. Yeah. And passes out. And she's fine. Next day, he Sweet. comes over. Yeah, he comes to her dorm room. He's like, okay, you're doing this. Mm-hmm. We're signing you up. You proved it to me. But we got to do it legal. We can't just sneak you in. We need to mm-hmm. sign up. Because I don't want to get, I, you know, I've been doing these forever. I know everybody. I don't want to, you know, we yeah. get, uh, it's got to go above board. Mm-hmm. So they did some research and looked into the rules. They, yeah. They got the paperwork and everything, and there was no rules. There, there was nothing written nothing about, about women. About women not being able to. Yeah. yeah. So there was no rules. So they, they said, okay, this should be fine then. Like, yeah. There's nothing that says a woman can't. Maybe yeah. just no woman has ever tried. Who knows? So they sign up, whatever. And she says she signed up with her name, Kay Switzer, mm-hmm. not to deceive anyone. Mm-hmm. That's just how she's always signs her name, Kay Switzer. Oh, okay. she just, that, so she wasn't trying to hide that she's a woman. Okay. But she signed up as that. They get in there, whatever. So they, they go to the marathon. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's a long drive. Okay. Know, like from where they are. Insert where they are. <laughs> <laughs> so they drive there. And, um, oh, before they go, she, she, her boyfriend, Tom, mm-hmm. a big muscle head guy, he's a, a three-sport athlete or whatever. He mm-hmm. uh, is training to be an Olympian in the hammer throw. Okay. So you just picture this big. Yeah, one of those beefcakes. long kid. Yeah. That's her boyfriend. He says, oh, well, if you're going to run a marathon, I'm running it too. And oh, he, right. he hadn't even trained. Oh. He, he hasn't trained to run a marathon or anything, but he just thinks, I'm so in such great so shape. Great. If a woman can do it, yeah. pff, of course I can do it. So yeah. he signs up. And then some other guy named John. Yeah, so that guy doesn't really matter come into the story. But So they all go. They go to the Boston Marathon. When they go to sign up, uh, they get there, and there's like 740 people signed up. She's the only woman there. Man. Out of everybody. And she can't believe it. And yeah. they walk around, and she's at first, most people ignored her. 
Um, but a lot of the runners came up to us like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Are you doing Are you going to do the whole thing or are you just going to do part of it? Or how did you, you know. Yeah. So she didn't what do you go and look like a boy or anything. No, no. she That's the thing. She wore lipstick. Oh, wow. And Tom was like, why are you wearing that lipstick? It's going to even call more attention to you. Somebody might see yeah. that you're a woman and kick you out. She's like, I ain't going anywhere without my lipstick. Girl. I know. You get that, right? Yeah. That reminds me of you. Yeah. That's the only thing in this whole thing that reminds me of you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're never going to run a marathon. No. But she said she felt very welcome and people came up to her and and were excited about it. Guys were saying, oh, I I, I, I got to get my wife into this. Uh, if she would love it too, you got you to tell me if you can make it through. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. And so, but a lot of people just kind of not meaning to, but kind of saying disparaging things like oh, are you gonna even try are you gonna make it or why are you doing kind of thing anyway mm-hmm. so she felt welcome she got up to the officials to start the race and she thought the somebody grabbed her shoulder and she thought they were gonna pull her out mm-hmm. and they were just trying to move her to get her in the line they didn't say anything so she's like okay it must be okay it must be mm-hmm. cool only one out of 740 people sausage party yeah Let me tell you hello that. yeah i wouldn't be comfortable around much of that many sausages Sa- sausages. sausages anyway so the race starts, and she's off, and she's excited, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm doing this. I'm actually doing the Boston Marathon. So it's like the biggest deal. It'd be like mm-hmm. if, like maybe when uh, Roberto Benigni won the Oscar, how great he felt when he was jumping up and down. Okay. You know, like it was that great of, a, of yeah. achievement in a field. Um, but she was like, I've done it. I'm part of this. She felt at home. She felt comfortable and welcome. She was so excited this whole thing was happening. She couldn't believe it. Now she's just got to make it and prove she can do it. Mm-hmm. A couple miles in, though, suddenly uh, a truck, the press truck, comes by mm-hmm. and is taking pictures of them. They realize it's a woman, and they're like, "Oh my god!" They're asking her all these questions, like, "Oh my gosh, oh are you are you trying to make history, or are you going to do the whole mm-hmm. thing?" Same kind of thing, like, "Why are you doing this?" And she's just like, "No, you know, answer. I, I want to do it. I think women can run, whatever." But they, but she's kind of like surprised, and they're kind of following her. But she keeps on running. But um, and Tom, and Arnie and Tom are. Uh, excited about it and they're not jealous or they're boasting about it. They're excited about the attention and yeah. they're proud that they're with her and yeah. this groundbreaking thing and everything. And then another truck pulls up and it's got uh, uh, one of the officials, the official mm-hmm. wearing an official hat. And he, she said, it just looked like a rabbit dog was coming after me, something like that. A bear, like he had his teeth mm-hmm. gritting and he started running after me and she's got freaked out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what is going on? And he grabs her tries to grab at her and starts pulling on her sweater mm-hmm. it's like you get out of my race you got my race right now and trying to pull the numbers off of her and mm-hmm. stuff and uh she was like freaking out didn't know what was going on she was just trying to get away and tom the big yeah ox well arnie first started yelling at him was like mm-hmm. leave her alone jock mm-hmm. jock leave her alone the guy's name was jock sample mm-hmm. uh turns out well tom to, to defend her, Tom, big old Tom, body blocks him and knocks him on his ass. And nice. they say, let's get the fuck out of here. They run. And, but meanwhile, Arnie's like, Jock, leave her alone. You should know better than this. She's fine. And they run away from him. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out later that Jock Sample is the guy's name. He is running the whole race. Like, he's in charge of the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's like a super official. And then she starts worrying. Like, oh, my God, am I going to get arrested? Yeah. Am I going to get in trouble? Mm-hmm. Am I get kicked out? That's not what I want to do this for. Right. Um oh, no, I'm worried or whatever. And um, as they're running farther, um, they're all just cussing. Like, that motherfucker, you know, whatever they're saying. They're mm-hmm. cussing about it. Um, but they just keep on trucking. And then she's like, what if I killed him? Like, what if Tom killed him? Oh, what's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And then a few minutes later, uh, 
a truck comes by again and jocks on there and he yells him, you are in big trouble. I guess he's Scottish. You're in big trouble. Oh, my God. Is that a Scottish? Good no. Scottish? If it's not Scottish, it's crap. You're in big trouble. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> don't even try it. Check on make lousy house pet. I can't do Scottish. Anyway, even though I am Scottish. I'm like 80% Scottish. I know. Anyway. So she sees he's alive and they, they t- and he's like, get out of here, jock. Again, Ernie. So he leaves. And then later, as they're, you know, they're comprehending. It t- it's four-hour run. They're running together. Mm-hmm. So different thoughts go to your head and moods change. Right. You feel bad. She started getting real tired. Tom all of a sudden gets all pissy. And he's like, you know what? You, I'm going to get kicked out of the Olympics now. I'm not going to make it to the Olympics because of this. It's because oh, of you. Yeah. And he starts yelling at her. And she's like, I didn't tell you to knock him on his ass. Like, I didn't tell yeah. you to hit, hurt him. I didn't do anything. But he still blames her. He's like, by the way, you're going too slow. And he takes off. And he's like, I don't need you guys Jeez, anymore. And he runs idiot. off. And he's wearing a big orange sweater from Syracuse. Syracuse is where they're from. Um, so anyway, he takes off. And then Arnie's like, ah, forget about him. Who cares? And so, But then she starts getting upset and worried. And mm-hmm. like, is he going to break up with me? I'm going to you know, lose my relationship over this. And she starts crying. But she's still running. running and she's still like, I'm going to make it through this. Running through this whole thing. Yeah, through the whole thing. Um, when Jack, I forgot to say, when Jack grabbed her, mm-hmm. uh, she wet her pants a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whoops. So she's got pee in her drawers. And I've heard in marathons, people just poop and pee themselves. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Like they just poop and pee. They because, all just shit. Yeah, shit just themselves. shit and piss all over. Mm-hmm. And barf. Probably. I don't know about that last one. All of it. Yeah, right. they do all that. Nope, I'm um, not sure. I don't know. But anyway, she had pee in her pants. And at some point, she had to, she stopped and pulled off the side of the road and pull, took her pants off and just tossed them. And some yeah. kid grabbed them and took them. She had shorts like, on underwear. Under. Yeah, she had shorts on, yeah. But some kid took her urine-soaked pants. And Gross. So anyway, they keep going. They're running. And then she just gets determined, like, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's some hill. That was supposed to be like the biggest, hardest part of it all. Mm-hmm. And after all this thought and all this stuff going, she was just in a zone. All of a sudden, she's like, gosh, I wonder how far we are. I have no idea. Have yeah. We, am I halfway through? Am I not even Is close? Arnie still with her? Arnie's with her. She can't. So she asked Arnie, like, have we gotten to whatever hill? It's mm-hmm. like the hardest. It's like hell hill or something mm-hmm. like that. It's the hardest hill. We haven't got to that yet. And she, he's like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? We, we passed that hours ago like you're almost done you're all yeah you're way past the hardest part and he was amazed that she didn't even notice it because it's so hard yeah it's like i struggled how did you not even know anyway they get over the hill they get done there they see a guy that says you only got one more mile to go and arnie's like that can't be right There's, that yeah. these people are always wrong turns out she can see the finish line and she's about to make it mm-hmm. and uh oh before she gets to the finish line not yet earlier before she sees the finish line uh they passed Tom, and he's walking. Oh. Uh, and they caught up to him and passed him. He's like, hey, wait, 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 wait for me. Wait, just stay with me a little bit. Slow down a little bit. Um, and she's, and like, she's like, no, nope. no, I thought I'm too slow or whatever. Yep. And she keeps going. Good. And then he, uh, he yells after, I would never leave you. Even though, <laughs> even he, though he did. He did. So anyway, she and Arnie keep going, and they pass him. And then they get to the end. She finishes. She can't believe it. There's a mob waiting for her, though. Um, and she thinks she's in trouble. But nothing happened. It was just like media circled her. Yeah. And they were kind of crabby, she said, because it was cold and snowy. Yeah. And uh, they'd been waiting out there for four hours, four yeah, and a half to, hours. Yeah. So she said people were kind of pissy, and they were asking her stuff like, what are you trying to prove? Are you a suffragette? What are you doing? You know? Yeah. She's like, oh, women have been voting forever. Yeah. Uh, but she kind of like 
laughed a lot of that off. But the podiatrist had to see her, and they took her sock off. It was soaked in blood, just blisters and covered in blood. That's see, I don't get it. You know, people's nipples bleed at these things. What? Why? Yeah, guys have to wear band aids because their nipples bleed from running. How how does that happen? It just rubs against your shirt so much from running up and down. It just make your nipples bleed. I've never heard that in my life. If you ever see a marathon, half those people's nip, nipples are bleeding. Ew! Isn't that ridiculous? What's the what do you get out of it? How do you know that? Oh, I, I there was a runner that I worked with that told me that he had to wear band aids on his nipples. I was like, why? He's like, because your nipples will bleed. Ew. Runners are just weird. They're, it's a whole other species. There's something wrong. And that's why I asked him, I was like, what do you get out of it? I don't get yeah. it. He said it's amazing endorphins. It's like. I've never experienced it. I've tried to run, and I've never had amazing endorphins. Yeah, I've run, and I feel you know, I feel better when I'm running. Like when I'm done oh, running, like I feel good. I feel good, awful but, when I'm running. But not that, it's not that good. No. But I've noticed yoga lately. Like when I do a whole full set of yoga, I feel good awesome after it good. so it must be that feeling times a hundred yeah because that feeling is still not good enough to make me do it every day I don't or know why. for your nipples to bleed for yeah. it yeah that's bizarre yeah anyway so the blood and all never, that stuff ever and so that. she uh they had to do all kinds of work to her feet she couldn't even put shoes on after that oh, fucked up. Jesus. Uh, anyway but she did it she was all excited she wasn't in trouble and then on their way back they had a long drive back to syracuse and uh, I hope it's Syracuse. And uh, they, it was late, late, late. They had to stop at like one thirty, two in the morning or something to eat somewhere. And they stopped at a restaurant and they saw some guy in the newspaper. And in the paper was a whole bunch of pictures of her running the marathon. Right on the front she page. Made the paper, yeah. And the guy let her keep the paper. Oh, excited. that's awesome. Yep. So they did it. She did it. Wasn't kicked out. They had to hurt that guy. And her feet were all bloody. That's a good story, babe. You like that? Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. I still can't believe runner's nipples bleed. That is, mm-hmm. I've never heard that in my life. I think Mind that. blown. You never heard that? I think I've said it on this podcast. Uh, well, but you say all kinds of weird, crazy <laughs> shit that isn't true. I have thoroughly researched every sentence that I've uttered yeah. on this podcast. Not one mm-hmm. falsehood has ever been uttered. You said utter. Utter nipple. I, it all See, comes full circle. Does. That same day on April 19th, the, <laughs> the American Surveyor 3 probe landed on the moon at 7.04 p.m. Florida time mm-hmm. after bouncing three times during the landing on the Oceanus Procellarum. Mm-hmm. The, probe became, uh, the probe became the first to analyze the chemical, chemical composition of the lunar surface. Mm-hmm. Using a robotic scoop called the Soil Mechanic Surface Sampler, the probe dug four different trenches and sent data back to Earth, revealing that the moon soil was like coarse, damp beach sand, mm-hmm. being cohesive and clumpy. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of cool. And then on Saturday, April 22nd, 1967, the Big Mac was created oh. by Jim Delegati, an early Ray Kroc franchisee who was operating several restaurants in the Pittsburgh area. It was invented in the kitchen of Delgati's first McDonald's franchise located on McKnight Road in suburban Ross Township. The Big Mac had two previous names, both of which failed in the marketplace. First, it was the Aristocrat. Yeah, that's dumb. Which consumers found difficult to pronounce and understand. And then the blue... Ri- idiots. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> the about. aristocrat. That's real hard. And then the blue ribbon burger. No. They called it, and then they changed it to the Big Mac. That name was created by Esther Glickstein Rose, 
a 21-year-old ad secretary who worked at McDonald's corporate headquarters in Oak Brook, Illinois. Shout out to the ladies. Naming the Big Mac. I bet she didn't get any money for it. Oh, she is a groundbreaking woman in women's history. That's true, but she she didn't get any money for it. Esther Glickstein Rose, y'all. All All right. More important. She is more important than... uh, Who's the most important woman? I don't don't know. What's next? Anne Heche. (laughs) Anyway, the Big Mac became popular. Okay. Sunday, April 23rd, 1967, James Earl Ray, mm-hmm. a 39-year-old convict serving a 20-year sentence for armed robbery, yeah. escaped from the Missouri State Penitentiary, mm-hmm. Penitentiary in Jefferson City. Yep. He would later tell interrogators that other inmates helped him conceal himself inside a four-foot-by-four-foot container that was used to deliver loaves of bread to prisons in the area. Mm-hmm. They helped load him out of the truck. 49 weeks later, he would assassinate Dr. Martin Luther King yep. Jr. in Memphis and would finally be recaptured on June 10th at Heathrow. Mm-hmm. Did you know that he, is, he was a prison escapee? No, I don't know much about that. I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. If those fucking prison guards had done their job, Martin Luther King might not have been killed. True. And he'd be president right now. He probably still would have been killed by some other idiot. Nope. And racism would have ended also. I wish. It would be nice. So dumb. It is dumb. And then April 28, 1967, world heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali Mm -hmm. refused to take the oath of induction into the U.S. Army after reporting was scheduled to an induction center in Houston, Texas. Ali stood in line with 11 other inductees, underwent a physical exam, blood tests, and x-rays, but he refused to step forward when his name was called by Army Lieutenant Stephen Dunkley. Mm-hmm. He then told Navy Lieutenant C.P. Hartman that he understood the penalties and said that his refusal was based on his religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Ali was stripped of his boxing title on the same day by the WBA and would not be allowed to fight for the title again until 1970. Yeah. On June 20th, Ali would be convicted of draft evasion, fined $10,000, and sentenced to five years in prison. But the convict but the conviction would be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court on June 28, 1967. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Just think about it, though. For three years, the best boxer in the world couldn't box. I know. That's weird. Because of the fucking war. Yeah. U.S. Army Corporal Dennis Brown returned to his home on that same day in Hinckley, Ohio, Mm -hmm. five days after his parents had mistakenly been told that he had been killed in action in Vietnam. Oh, my God. Brown returned to his home on that same day in Hinckley, Ohio, five days after his parents had mistakenly been told that he had been killed in action in Vietnam. Oh, my God. Brown took his girlfriend to a high school senior prom, then returned to duty at the end of May. Holy shit, no. And then April 30th, 1967, under federal law, daylight savings time went into effect on throughout the United States for the first time with the 1966 Uniform Time Act, mandating that clocks be set ahead one hour at two in the morning God on the last Sunday in April and then turn back one hour on the last Sunday in October. Now, I always thought it was a lot earlier, like yeah, when everybody like lived on a stuff. farm. That's, yeah, but this that, was in the 60s. The yeah, that, 60s. that's like an urban legend or whatever. I guess. It was because of the... Um, what was it? I used to know this. 
The law provided that any state could seek exemption from compliance by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Mm -hmm. and five of the 50 states chose to effectively change time zones rather than change their clocks. I wish we would. I hate daylight savings time. The legislatures of Michigan and Hawaii voted to be exempt, and Alaska applied for a delay so they could delineate its time zones. In Indiana, Kentucky, which shifted from the eastern to central time zones, the matter was complicated I can't believe that... Because local governments were allowed the option to move their clocks forward if they chose. I can't believe that until until now, until 67, there was no uniform time zones. That people just willy-nilly picked what time they wanted it to be. That's bizarre to me. Well, I think everybody had the same time. What? It was the same time everywhere. It did. Nobody changed. They changed it, can't it because be, of this. No, it can't be the same time everywhere because the sun doesn't rise and set at the same time everywhere. I think people just picked what time it was. Like you think everybody like it's four thirty. No, it isn't, Margaret. It's five no, fifteen. But like every city or whatever, every con- every every city or every state yeah, it was probably would pick locality. what time it was. Yeah. And but they all were the same generally. But like I said, like Kentucky, and then they had to move to the central. Yeah. Um, I hate daylight savings time so much. It fucking you, sucks. Why don't you marry it? May 1st, 1967, with aspirations to become the fourth U.S. commercial net television network after NBC, CBS, and ABC, the United Network began broadcasting Ooh, on more man. than 100 independent stations at 11 p.m. Eastern Time with its first and only program, The Las Vegas Show. A two-hour-long weekly variety show telecast in color. Comedian Bill Dana was a regular host, and his first guests were comedian Milton Berle, Wait, so- singer Abby Lane, and the comedy team of Alan and Rossi. Lacking sufficient national sponsors and facing the enormous costs of yeah. using overland coaxial cables to relay the program to affiliates, the network would fold after 23 performances of The Las Vegas Show. So it was just dark for the rest of the week except <laughs> guess, for two hours i guess god that's the stupidest idea ever that's the same day that elvis presley and priscilla billier mm-hmm. were married in a brief civil ceremony at the aladdin she Hotel was 10 in las vegas and yeah, she was six months old yeah was she but really she 10? was a newborn baby she was like 14 yeah she thinks she was 14 god that's weird and gross mm-hmm. and then may 2nd 1967 Led by Huey P. Newton, a group of 40 members of the Black Panthers armed with shotguns, rifles, and pistols forced their way into a session of the California House of Representatives at the State Capitol Building in Sacramento mm-hmm. as a protest against gun control. Oh. The California Assembly was debating passage of a bill that would forbid the carrying of a loaded firearm into any public place in the state. Mm-hmm. No violence took place other than scuffling between some of the Panthers and the state police who responded to the incident. I'm surprised the Black Panthers haven't come back in this day and age. Aren't they around somewhere? But I just don't not think so. Popular? They need to, man. Mm-hmm. Take out the KKK. Yeah. And all these white nationalists. Yeah, all these fucking heads. white nationalists coming out of the woodwork. We need to get some Panthers back on it. We do. May 4th, 1967, a 16-month-old boy. Mm-hmm. 16 months old. Mm-hmm. Rupert Burton of Pittsburgh, New York survived an eight-story fall 
Oh, my God. From the 14th floor of the Essex Inn in Chicago, where his father, a physician, was attending the American Industrial Hygiene Conference, mm -hmm. the boy landed on the sun deck of the fifth floor. Oh, man. Beside a swimming pool and was conscious and crying. Four days oh later, he was reported to be doing quite well at a hospital. His father would later sue the hotel for the child's serious injuries. Holy shit. And that brings us to May 6, 1967. And you're going to take yes. this story away with... I'm going to tell you about the Morgan County 3. Oh, we're going to hear about the Morgan County 3 right after these messages from yes. our sponsors. And now, back to the greatest American Timelines podcast of all time. American Timelines, the podcast that's the greatest of all time. Okay. Episode 101, <clears throat> bitch. So I'm going to do the Morgan County 3, and I got this from unresolved.me. I don't know what M-E, why the ending. What is, what is, what is that usually? Maine? I don't know. The state and of Maine, Also on Reddit and Facebook. There's a Facebook group about this. Did this happen in Maine? No. So I think M-E is the state of Maine, isn't it? Like dot O-H or... I don't know. Anyway. Uh, is that a so, thing? I don't know if that's a thing. More, I don't know. I have no all idea. All right. We're moving on. But I think you can pick no, stop. .ed. Stop. So Morgan County, O-R-G. Alabama is a large area, and most of it is woods. Morgan County? Yeah. It's a county? It's a county. And there's woods and I love small interconnected towns. Interconnected. So this is the story of Mary Faye Hunter, Juanita Acker, and Joyce Drake. Mary Faye Hunter was born on May 2nd, 1933, in the same town where she would live for her entire life, Decatur, Alabama. Okay. In 1951, she graduated from Decatur High School and would continue to live with her family over the next decade and a half. That seems normal so far. She's, I think she was kind of special needs. Okay. Throughout her adult life, she lived a quiet, she was just like a quiet, shy, gentle soul. And she never married. She didn't seem to have much of a romantic history. Yeah. Um, she worked as a secretary at the nearby Marshall Space Flight Center. Is she homely? On the Yes. On the nearby Redstone Arsenal military post and held down her job for over a decade. Okay. She also volunteered as a pianist for Young Choir at Center Methodist Church, a job she took very seriously. All right. May 6, 1967, was described as a rainy Saturday in the town of Decatur, Alabama. Well, you know, while this was happening in Decatur, Alabama, rioting broke out in Hong Kong mm -hmm. that would ultimately see 51 people killed and more than 800 injured during a clash between police and 650 workers who had been fired from the Hong Kong Artificial Flower Works. Oh, man. That sounds violent. Yeah. So Mary Faye Hunter left her family's home and headed off on foot towards the House of Beauty, a hair salon on Grant Street. She's trying to get cleaned up yep. to hopefully find a fella. She had an appointment there this morning and didn't want to be late. All right. So she did make it there on time. Good she for her. She got her hair styled. Not, you know who's not good for? Those poor Hong Kong workers. Yep. She then left the salon at around 11.30 a.m. and headed up another block toward Decatur. All right. Multiple witnesses saw her at an A&P grocery store on Johnson Street just don't before you, noon. Don't you miss the A&P? Oh, I know. I loved going to the A&P. This would put her a little under a mile away from home, a trip that would take no more than 20 or so minutes walking. Okay. However, when she failed to return home by 1 o'clock p.m., her worried parents reported her missing to the police. Yes, I'd be concerned. You can only spend so much time at the A&P. Right. 
Family and friends began searching for her that afternoon, but were unable to find any trace of Mary. Oh, no. Where's Mary? Within a day, the search had become a police matter. The, fa- the family of Mary Faye contacted Jean Dixon, a self-proclaimed psychic. Oh, in not res- the other Jean Dixon that we know. No. In response, she told the family that Mary was still alive, but had gotten a little mixed up. Whatever I'm that glad means. the psychics are still around. Yeah, I'm glad they don't profit off people's grief and well, wasn't it, stress. You know, no, no, actually, it's like we're now getting into the... Psychics, because the seventies were all psychics, right? Yeah, I think so. And I don't remember the sixties being much psychics being involved. Well, this one did. Yep. Anyway, um, five days after her disappearance on May eleventh, nineteen sixty-seven. Oh, May eleventh, nineteen sixty-seven, the same day that the milestone of the installation of the one hundred millionth telephone in the U.S. was celebrated by AT and T in a ceremony that included a conference call between. Lyndon Johnson and the governors of all 50 states that same day? Oh, Jesus. So there were 60 people on the phone call? Yeah. That was all talking at the same oh time. Oh, my God. That's to celebrate the 100 idea. millionth phone. All right. Um, yes. An article published in the local Alabama Courier displayed a picture of Mary Faye Hunter. The news bulletin underneath stated there was a $2,000 reward for information that led to Mary's safe return home. And two grand is not anything to spit at in the 60s. That's right. It also stated that police had been searching for the young woman in the preceding week, searching mainly in abandoned homes and farm buildings in the hopes of uncovering any clues. That newspaper article is one of the few mentions Mary's story getting any attention in the media, although her story would become a touchy subject of local gossip. That is until later that year. On October 14, 1967... Oh, the same day that the... The Chicago Bulls, the tenth and newest franchise of the NBA, played their very first game, mm-hmm. a one hundred and five to ninety loss to the Boston Celtics. Yes. Um, a woman fishing in the area around Flint Creek made a shocking discovery. Uh oh, what is this? The body in the body of water called Wheeler Lake, she discovered the skeletal remains of Mary Faye Hunter. Oh no. Police and the coroner were called to the scene. Alvin Ben, a journalist, lived in the area at the time in his memoir. He described the scene surrounding the discovery of Mary Faye Hunter's remains and how the police were very lackadaisical when it came to roping off the scene from the public. He describes the coroner in scuba gear fishing out the bones of a young woman from the water while members of the public were looking over the scene, pointing out spots where more of her remains had been found. Ugh. So it was just... But it had, if she's a skeleton, how do they know it was her right away? Well, they didn't know at the time. Oh, at the time. But then they tested. Right. So state officials later told a coroner's jury that Hunter had been sexually assaulted before her death, but investigators declined to say how they had come to that conclusion. Well, they probably just assumed because, uh, like, like if you go listen to all the American Timelines episodes, everyone's always raped. That's true. After all, the remains were deteriorated to the point of being skeletal, and that seems like an impossible bridge to cross when it came to 1960s forensic testing. You know what they say, you can't rape a skeleton. Well, you probably could. Could you? If you really tried. Mm, where would you? I, I don't know. How would you? I guess maybe between some bones. I'm just picturing a skeleton from, you know, like a classroom skeleton. One of those. Oh, I've been with one of those. I before. think so. See? See? Exactly. But it it was consensual. I think they should make a movie called Skeleton, like Mannequin. But instead yeah. of man, the mannequin comes to life, the uh, the skeleton comes to life and has a romance with somebody. And the the guy like really falls in love with her. Yes. But does it like only is it only alive when nobody else is looking? Just like, like mannequin, yeah, yeah. Except, and and so a, he's just te- he's just carrying around this skeleton from a classroom. Is there a gay hairdresser named? Uh, yes. 
Whatever you're going to say. I forget what a guy's name was. I never saw it. I used it. to love that movie. You I, never saw I that never movie? never saw me. I couldn't know. Let me just tell you there. I'm not going to see it. All of our listeners will agree. It's probably the greatest cinematic masterpiece Roger Ebert hated American it. Hit. Roger did. Ebert can suck all it. All right, all right. Anyway. The other guy was way better. Ebert and Humper, or was Humper... Uh, Siskel. Siskel was a man. But, okay, Bob Hancock, a state investigator, lived in the area and served as the primary detective for the case. Bob he, Hancock. He had to begrudgingly admit a short time after the remains were found that we just had nothing to go on in that case. I'm Bob Hancock. We don't know that. <laughs> Bob Hancock. I'm Bob Hancock. <laughs> All right. Investigators were unable to come up with any solid leads or dig up any pieces of evidence in their search to find out what had happened to Mary Fay. By the time her remains were found and her family found out what her fate had been, her case had already gone cold. Mm, One Mary. theory from a Facebook group dedicated to Decatur, Alabama, yeah. states that the investigation was called off because the primary suspect died shortly after Mary was found. Oh. This theory, which came from decades-old Decatur gossip, is that Mary Fay Hunter was having an affair with a married man. Oh. When she became pregnant, she was taken to a doctor that performed illegal abortions. Oh, snap. During the procedure, she began to hemorrhage and died shortly thereafter. Ah. From there, her body was disposed near, of near Highway 67, near the backwaters of the Tennessee River. Oh. When it comes to this case, there's really not much else to go on. The tragic oh, disappearance and death of Mary Fay Hunter is a story that hasn't gotten any traction in over 50 years. So you got on these Facebook groups and you were asking yes. people? No, I was just reading the comments. But you didn't comment on anybody? No. Hey, everybody, what do no. you think? Hey, everybody, that's my podcast. She's been mentioned in a few... Oh, I should, maybe. Yeah. She's been mentioned in a few newspaper articles in that time span, but Mary Fay's story is often forgotten. Unfortunately, she wouldn't be the only woman to meet a mysterious end in this time period. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Same time period as other people? Juanita Acker, born Juanita Holland, was born on July 15th, 1928. Wait, she was born... Uh, the same day that Nicholas France won the Tour de France and five heat deaths were reported in Britain as the, as the temperature hit 92 degrees yes. Fahrenheit in the shade. Yes. Her family lived near Birmingham, Alabama in a town oh. named Alexandria, and she would graduate from Alexandria High School in the 1940s. Okay. In 1947, she met a young man named Callis Craker, sorry, Callis Creighton Acker, nicknamed Cal. And the two would marry in 1947. They got married the same year my grandparents graduated high school, y'all. The couple would go on to have three children together, a son named William and two daughters named Susan and Kathy. Those are completely normal names. Yes. Juanita then joined the United States Women in the Air Force, which had been instituted in the 1940s to let women participate in the armed forces. Oh, good for them. This is what... They can... These women can participate. They can oh, take notes. They can get our coffee. Yep. They can be whistled at. That's right. This was this is what eventually brought the family up to Decatur, Alabama, where Juanita worked at Redstone Arsenal. Okay. So... In the nineteen six in the mid nineteen sixties, Cal was then diagnosed with cancer. Oh, poor fella. And then he would pass away in January of nineteen sixty six. No, other unlike you, I don't wish cancer on anyone. No, what? I'm just saying. I Is don't wild I'm not, allegations. I'm not happy about this cancer situation with this poor fella. All right, so then he so that was leaving behind the three children and then Juanita was a widow at thirty seven. Poor lady. Over the next couple of years Now she was a pretty woman, right? Yeah. Young, spunky. Juanita and her three children would struggle to recover from this tragic loss oh. and would keep trying to move forward. However, they would suffer through another tragic loss when their family home burned down in April of 1969. You know, it's just like that old thing. It's like, 
One step forward, three steps back. Mm-hmm. Poor lady. After the loss of the family home on April 29th, 1969. Oh, the same day that band leader Duke Ellington was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, mm-hmm. the highest civilian honor in the U.S., by U.S. President Richard Nixon at a White House celebration of Ellington's 70th birthday. Mm-hmm. Also on the Doris Day show, uh, Billy's Good Deed leads to suspicion and false accusation of theft by a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Starring Doris Day in Denver Pyle. Yes. Um, that same day? On that evening. Denver bo- Pyle played Uncle Jesse. All right. On on that evening, both of Juanita's daughters left. Um, 16-year-old Susan went out on a date with her 21-year-old fiancé, Nathan. Oh, 16 and 21. That's an it's age kind of, gap. Yeah. But Elvis has normalized that. That's correct. Pedophilia. While 12-year-old Kathy went to go spend the night at a friend's house. Oh, that seems innocent. While Juanita had left a motel key beneath the doormat so that Susan would be able to come back after her date. Okay. Because they're living in a motel. Yeah, they live in a motel. Um, a motel employee who started his shift at about 11 p.m. Uh, stated that the phone line from Juanita Acker's room was busy when he clocked in. Uh-oh. Again, this was around 11 in the, at night, and he later told police that the phone was connected for about seven minutes or so. <sighs> a couple of hours later, at 1 o'clock a.m., Juanita's teenage daughter Susan returned to the motel room. Yeah. Her fiancé Nathan was still with her and they were planning to slip into the motel room in the early morning hours of May 24th. Yeah. As they approached, however, they saw that the key, which Juanita had left under the doormat, was found on top of it. Uh-oh. And so when they entered the motel room, they found Juanita lying in a blood-soaked bed. Ugh. Investigators stated she had been shot twice in the face with oh. a twenty-two caliber pistol. Yikes. Police stated that nothing from the room was missing, and there seemed to be no sign of burglary. So it had to be a passion murder morgan county sheriff david sandlin stated i think somebody slipped in while she was sleeping and shot her do you think oh good <laughs> quick work by that genius yeah police question- give that guy the presidential medal of freedom police questioned both juanita's 16 year old daughter susan as well as her fiance nathan harton yeah they also asked around the motel looking for anyone that knew anything about what had happened yeah that you would evening. hear a gunshot they make a lot well, of noise that's right this is when they discovered that her phone was in use at some time around 11 according to the employee. Yeah. And they also discovered a family friend had come to visit Juanita at around 10 o'clock p.m. This was on May 23rd, 1969. Mm-hmm. Yes. The same day that a U.S. Air Force mechanic stole a C-130 Hercules uh, in England and flew the $2,200,000 cargo plane. Wait. What? You can't read that number? <laughs> I'm not good at it. Well, I can't tell if that's a comma or a period. All right, it doesn't matter. Anyway, oh fuck, he stole a plane. Okay, he just stole a plane. We're done. We're no, done. and he tried to return to his home at Langley Air Force Base in the U.S. And Sergeant Paul Meyer described Air Force hookup cheese. All right, they think he stole it because he was on a combination of uh, antidepressants and whiskey and English cheddar cheese. I think he lost his mind. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's what I wanted to get to that. Oh, that was worth the wait. Yeah. (laughs) So So, um, toxicologists determined that Acker's time of death had been around 1130 p.m. Mm. based on evidence and clues. Nobody heard. This guy was snacking on cheese. Nobody heard the gunshots 
or at least nobody reported them, which is weird. Man, Stating, silencer and silencers. Mm, when, what's the history of silencers? I, when I didn't were look they, that one up. When were silencers uh, introduced? State investigator Bob Hancock, who had led the investigation into oh, Mary yeah. Faye Hunter's suspicious death, yeah. also helped out with this one. Oh, I'll bring this guy back. He's the killer. You think? Maybe. Maybe. He can't say his name right. He keeps saying Bab Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> One of the investigators involved in the case, Clarence Harris, was told that Acker was set to mar- remarry in August of that year to a man named Bill Givens, who lived in the Chicago area. Oh, Clarence Harris has his shit together. Juanita Acker was laid to rest at the Ro- Rose Long Gardens of Memory indicator right next to her husband, Cal. Wait, Clarence Harris said Juanita was going to get married to somebody else? Yeah. How did he know? I don't know. He, I mean, I, it, it, there's, he, it's he hard to find. It? Yeah, it oh, must okay. be. So then um, Thelma Joyce Sanders. Thelma Joyce Sanders. This is the third, the third of the decatur. The now, third she, of the Morgan County can, three. Can we get her measurements? Stop it. Just kidding. She, she just was, sounds hot. She was born on May 12th, 1949. Oh, she was born the same day that the war film Home of the Brave started Starring Douglas Dick, Jeff Corey, and Lloyd Bridges, Frank Lovejoy, and James Edwards was released. Mm-hmm. You know what I didn't tell you is one of these early days. Didn't did you say somebody was born on May second, nineteen thirty-three? At the very beginning. Oh dang it! Because no, I didn't say late. say this because I thought this was going to be your story, but that's the f- first sighting of the Loch Ness monster. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what good. I thought you were doing. This is that was the very beginning. I said it. Oh, well, I ruined it. You and did. it was also Hitler did something. Oh, Jesus. That maniac. All right. Yeah. I know I'm taking a extreme stance by saying that. <laughs> Can we go back to the beginning and start over? Stop it. You stop it. All right. Jo- Joyce, Thelma Joyce Sanders was yeah. born on May 12th, 1949. Okay. Oh, the growing same up, stop that- it. <laughs> growing up, she preferred to go by Joyce. As her middle would. name. In 1967, she graduated from her hometown's Falkville High, just Falkville? 20, 25 Falkville? or so miles south of Decatur. It's an odd name for a high school. Falkville. Falkville. Yeah, that is a problematic. Falkville. Well, in high school, Joyce had become smitten with a varsity football player named Randy Drake. Oh, Randy Drake got it going on with the, his big old muscles and his great ass. Yeah, maybe we won't mention this to that Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? The two married shortly after Joyce's graduation and would have two children over the next few years, Stephen and Randall Jr. Stephen what? And Randall Jr. Stephen and Randall Jr., y'all. Joyce Drake became a stay-at-home mom while oh. Randy supported the family by working at a service station in the nearby town of Coleman. That is not a bad gig if in, you can get it in her free time joyce helped out her parents who owned a managed general store in the coal springs community of eva oh, that's nice they help uh you know front the merchandise like when somebody takes something you yes. gotta walk through and the two children jobs um two-year-old steven and nine-month-old randall were at home with their father on wednesday morning of january 7th 1970 oh january 7th 1970 the same day that a controversial episode of the CBS police drama Hawaii Five-O yes. was broadcast for the first and only time, mm-hmm. titled "Bored She Hung Herself." The evening's offering was about a girl who was believed to have hanged herself, but was she under the diabolic influence of her mystic boyfriends, or was it murder? I see. I never watched Hawaii Five-O, but I remember the beginning of it all very well, like the 
the big wave. The theme of erotic asphyxiation was described for the first time on television. What? After a viewer died trying the same technique, the show was never rebroadcast. You're lying. And would be omitted from the syndicated reruns of the popular series. No. Really? Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 20-year-old Joyce went to help out her parents at their store that morning. Left okay. early. Yeah, that was nice for her to help out. At around 10.30 a.m., Joyce departed from R.L. Sanders Grocery, leaving with roughly $400 in checks, which uh-huh. had been used to pay for groceries and goods. So she was heading to the bank to cash the checks and then bring the money back to the store. Cash money. By all indications, she was alone. Uh-oh. Some reports indicate she stopped by her sister-in-law's home, who lived along the way, but there's been no confirmation of that. Do we have any kind of feeling whether or not her sister-in-law is a bitch or not? I don't think so. Okay. Joyce did make it to the bank a short while later, cashing the checks and putting the cash into a small money bag, which she carried under her arm out of the bank. Oh, she made it. Okay. She made it back. Nobody in the bank saw her with anybody, but at least three witnesses saw her leave the bank. Yeah. These witnesses say there was a man with her in the cab of her, her pickup truck. After leaving the bank. Uh-oh, there was a man. Multiple newspaper reports would state that this man was redheaded, and at least a few would state the witness described him as large. Uh-oh, large redheaded guys, you can't trust them. Can't em. trust them. You can't trust that, and you can't trust a big button a smile. So when Joyce failed to return to her parents' store, they started to get concerned. Okay. And, um, yeah, because, yeah. I and she had not concerned. returned home either, and so her family and her friends started to look for her. Within hours, police were called and the search started to find Joyce Drake. In the late afternoon, townsfolk banded together to begin looking for her in her pickup truck. Early that evening, after the sun had set, her truck was found along Union Hill Church Road, a two-lane expressway surrounded by woods. Yeah. There was no trace of Joyce in the truck, nor of the mysterious red-haired man. There was no fat red-haired guy? Nope, or any money she got from the bank. Dang it, the fat red-haired guy got away with it. They would later find the money bag, which had been emptied, except for a leftover handwritten check and a single penny. Wait, and just let me interject this real quick. Uh, growing up, there was a, a big, fat, red-haired guy in the neighborhood that would ride a bike mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. and everyone would notice that like, he can't even see the bicycle seat because his butt so was fat. So, so big. Oh, my God. Well, he had red hair, so All right. it could have been that guy. It could have been. So by the time they found the money bag, they determined what had happened to Joyce. Throughout the night, a group of three men were searching for Joyce in the area east of Falkville named Odin Ridge. Oh. The weather, which had been snowy for some time, made the search miserable, but the men persevered, hoping their flashlights would be able to uncover any trace of her. A little after 9 o'clock p.m., they stumbled down a snowy road east of Falkville where they discovered Joyce's body. Oh, the founder. It had been left in the snow on top of a small trash pile and had been dead for several hours. Uh, she was described as being mutilated by reporters with her lady. throat slashed at least four times. Man, why can't it just be nice to people and I not know. kill them and slash their throats? John McBride, the former coroner and sheriff of Morgan County, described the crime as being the most brutal murder in recent Morgan County history. Yep. He also stated that Joyce Drake had been the victim of a vicious mad killer some reports indicated joyce's hands had been left clutching tiny red hairs and that there was apparent evidence of skin under her fingernails indicating there was a struggle it was the it was the heavy red-haired guy but detectives stated there was no sign of sexual assault and that the motives for the crime had likely been robbery because the money was gone yeah and a lot of people know heavy red-haired guys love money as the investigation tried to narrow in on the man responsible, police began to scour the area for anyone matching the description. As, Any luck? 
a student at nearby Eva High School named Stanley Hall came forward. Was he a heavy red-haired guy? He told investigators that on the day in question, he had picked up a hitchhiker that matched that description. A heavy red-haired guy? Yes. Yeah. He stated this red-haired young man who looked to be in his late 20s or early 30s stood around 5'11 and weighed about 160 pounds. Oh, that's not that heavy. No. 160 pounds, like, yeah, I'm it, twice that. I know. I weigh twice that. We don't need to and advertise. You can, still, you can still see a bicycle seat when I ride it. All right. Stanley had also apparently picked him up not too far away from where Joyce's truck had been found. Okay. Despite this news, however, the investigation would struggle to make any real progress over for the coming months. A few days later, Morgan County Sheriff Van Ward, when asked if he had any leads, stated, I believe he's still in the area. A headline in the local Decatur Daily newspaper stated, Drake murder arrest near. The article itself quoted authorities from Morgan County who believed that the suspect uh, was known to the Drakes and Sanders families. This became a common theme in almost all the reporting of the investigation into the murder of Joyce Gray, the belief that her killer had previously known her. And so her it family. wasn't that guy with a 160-pound guy. Didn't They cleared him? No, they, th- th- I don't know. It never went anywhere. They came forward, but they never... The, they couldn't find the hitchhiker or something. Oh. Because it was just the guy that student said he picked up a hitchhiker that matched oh, that description. Oh, but they never found him. I'm no. Sorry. I was thinking he came forward. No. Sorry. I, That's I, all right. I'm an idiot. All right, this, um, a little over two months after her murder, in fact, multiple p- papers reported that a Morgan County grand jury was nearing a decision to indict a man for the crime. Yeah. Uh, this, sub- this story was published on March 10th, 1970. Oh, the same day that the first Arctic Winter Games were inaugurated as a competition for hundreds of athletes from Canada's Northwest Territories and the Yukon Territory, as well as the United States State of Alaska. Yes. They did like um, hammer throwing and like crazy winter lumberjack mm-hmm. sports. So they they said that they were um, getting ready to indict a man for the crime. Right. Red haired guy, 160 pounds. Uh, the story referred to this young man as the prime suspect and made it clear that first degree murder charges were expected in the pending trial. Yeah. These reports stated that this man had been originally held by police for misdemeanor charges before jumping bond and running off to a northeastern state. Missy misdemeanor Elliot charges. From there, he was recaptured and detained by police and then returned to a Madison County jail in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm. And all the newspaper reports made it clear that he was known to the family. This person of interest was never publicly named. Really? Because those charges and indictments never came. Later, what? later statements by investigators seemed to indicate this suspect passed a polygraph and had an airtight alibi that investigators couldn't look past. This is a travesty. A year after the murder of Joyce Drake, the Coleman Times ran a front-page article remembering Joyce Drake and revisiting her case, which remained unsolved. R.L. Sanders, the father of Joyce, was quoted multiple times. He said, I think Joyce knew the person who killed her. I also believe he is still living in the area. I believe this because shortly after the murder, I found a bloodstained dollar bill in my cash register, which someone had used to buy something. Also, a bill was found at Hartsley Supermarket and another in Falkville. A bunch of blood-soaked dollars? Yeah. Sheesh, he's killed more people. Over the years, well, he stole that $400 from her. Oh, it was blood-soaked because he... Because he stabbed her, slashed her her throat. Over the years, the investigation into determining who was responsible for Joyce Drake's murder had many stops and starts. On the two-year anniversary of the crime, investigators told reporters they had a list of good suspects, including a local man that had moved out of state shortly after the crime. However, like the first suspect, it was later determined this man had a rock-solid alibi. He was not in Alabama at the time of the, cr- of the crime. He also was not a fat, red-haired guy. 
Morgan County Sheriff Van Ward told reporters, we thought several times we'd had him and then it didn't pan out. I know one time both Harry and Bob Hancock came in here and they just knew they had it solved. Bob Hancock. Over the next four, few decades, the investigation to find out who had killed Joyce Drake joined the mysterious death of Mary Faye Hunter and the unsolved shooting of Juanita Acker. All three were young women who died tragically and suspiciously in a four-year period. Then their case files containing the precious case notes and evidence went missing. Oh, no. Morgan County Chief Deputy Mike Corley had gone on the record to state he isn't sure who lost the documents. Bob Hancock. But it could have happened <laughs> when they were in the custody of either local, county, or state investigators, all of whom were working on the three separate investigations. And now they can't even decide. It was one of these guys. They can't even decide whose case it is, like the state. Ugh. Police say, no, it's Decatur yeah. County. It's the county's police and the county we'll police. We'll never know. This will never be solved. Bob Hancock be, has did it. It'll never be solved. And that's the story Maybe. of the Morgan County Three. Wow. I don't want to be, you know, I could get sued for libel. So I'm, I take it back about Bob Hancock. Is he still with us? I don't think so, but I think he's a fine man, I'm pretty sure. He's probably a fine man. He, yeah. don't did it. he didn't do it? No, he didn't do it. They were there were people on the Facebook page that had posted a picture of him and said, "Oh, I was a fine man." Oh, he was. Yeah. Okay. Well, it wasn't Bob Hancock. Right. Did anybody say anything like, "I think it was this fucking guy"? No, not really. Uh, May tenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Three boys in Hannibal, Missouri. Do you know where Hannibal, Missouri is? Yes. They disappeared after traveling into one of the many caves in the area. Oh, wow. It would still be missing half a century later. Oh, man. Despite an extensive search. Brothers Joe Hogue, 13, Billy Hogue, 11, uh, went exploring with Joe's friend, 14-year-old Craig Dowell, and they did not return. Can you imagine how scary their deaths must have been? To be stuck, trapped somewhere in a cave, and you probably they probably starved yeah. to death. After, and, after an 18-day search of 270 caves, the search leader reported oh. that the group had failed to find a single clue. Oh, my God. Years later, no physical evidence has been found at all. Oh, my Nothing. God. They just disappeared off the planet. Yep. That's also, creepy. young MC was born. That all day. right. And then, and, then May, and then May 13, 1967, the Supremes, The Happening, becomes the number one song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... On that same day, in what was described as a rebuttal to anti-war demonstrations, mm -hmm. a crowd of at least 70,000 demonstrators marched down New York City's Fifth Avenue in support of American troops oh, in fighting good. in the Vietnam War. Oh, okay. Support of fighting in Vietnam yeah. and stuff. Uh, yeah. In support yeah. of keeping the war going. Oh, and, okay. And not. Like, That's so not good. There's all the anti-war, and then this was like the... So there's still people on the wrong side of... Mm-hmm. I thought you meant they just supported the tr the no support soldiers. of the troops because that was the thing in fighting that, in the war. That was the thing them. that the '60s they did wrong in the '60s was yeah. they blamed the soldiers. Yeah, so when they, they came, came back, back, they were nice. To they them, were yeah. yeah, they treated them like shit, and and it's like from what so I understand, wrong. this was more of like a keep the war going. Oh, no. and we're on the side of this. Yeah, and I could be wrong. Maybe that's not what it is, but. Well, you know, I think I this I, was a I, rebuttal I to anti-war demonstrations. I have a belief that I was a Vietnam soldier in my past life. Yeah, because I um, that died in Vietnam. Yeah, because it. I've always had this very wouldn't very you, strong wouldn't. emotional reaction to anything about Vietnam. Well, a lot of people do, I would say, because it's real. But not, awful. but more so than any other like war stuff 
or history well, stuff. The other ones you don't care about. <laughs> this one you do? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I but like wouldn't you have been born in Vietnam then? No. If you died in Vietnam, you'd be born in Vietnam. What do you think? My, my ghost can't float any further than a few feet? Yes. <laughs> and you base that on what? How's it? Where, or who brought the ghost back here to Missouri or wherever you're born? All right, you get moving. What's next? Let's let's just wind this shit up. I'm just kidding. You're gonna love this. May twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven. While the young rascals grooving was the number one song, and one of the few claims of being injured by a UFO, Stephen, St- Stephen, Stephen, that's S T E F A N, Steve Michalak mm-hmm. was hospitalized for burns to his chest. After a trip to the White Shell Provincial Park in Canada, the case was investigated by the Royal Canadian Air Force after Michalak, an industrial mechanic, reported that his burns came after the unidentified object departed mm-hmm. when when he had approached it. The RCAF report noted that soil samples from the alleged landing area had been found to be radioactive by a radiologist from Canada's Department of Health and Welfare, and that the contamination could not be explained. Hmm. He recovered from his burns, but will retain a scar pattern on his chest. Oh, my. And then on May 21st, uh, at his, at his pro, uh, as his prosecution of Clay Shaw continued, New Orleans District Attorney mm-hmm. Jim Garrison said at a press conference that President JFK had been assassinated by five anti-Castro Cubans who were angry about the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. Mm. <coughs> and he accused Lee Harvey Oswald, and, the, and he said that the accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, did not even touch a gun that day. Hmm. Garrison said that the Cubans had been on the grassy knoll at Dealey Plaza and behind the wall there. I don't believe that, but... Also, Chris Benoit, Canadian professional wrestler, was born in Montreal that day. Like, I think all that's been disproven. Like, since mm. JFK movie. Like, since mm. then, I think the common theor- thought is that there are, there's logical explanations for everything that he brings up. That's a bullet, bullet turn yeah, sideways, it, yeah. 90 degrees. That can't happen. I know, but it, it was because the governor was seated, like, below and to the right of him, not right in front of him. So, really, the bullet doesn't have to turn in midair. He, it, it was a, the way he was seated. Uh, I prefer to believe this guy. Yeah, I know you do. Yep. And then on May 24th, 1967, Dwight Myers, Jamaican-born American hip-hop rap artist who led Heavy D and the boys, uh, is born in Manville, Jamaica. Heavy D. Come on. Overweight love a Heavy D. Stop. The girls, the girls that love me. Stop it. And then... Friday, May 26, 1967, according to Paul McCartney, many years from now by Barry Miles, Paul McCartney alone came up with the idea for the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Oh, you mean the name of the album? The name and how they came up with the cover and everything. Oh, right. Paul said that he was, we were fed up with being the Beatles. We really hated that fucking four little mop-top boys approach. We were not boys. We were men. It was all gone, all that boy shit, all that screaming. We didn't want anymore. Plus, we now got turned onto a pot and thought of ourselves as artists rather than just performers. There was now more to it. Not only had John and I been writing, George had been writing. We'd been in films. 
Ringo's just fucking off in the corner. Yeah, I guess but so. John had written Ringo's never even mentioned. <laughs> never. John had written books, so it was a natural that we should become artists. Then suddenly on the plane, I got this idea. I thought, let's not be ourselves. Let's de develop alter egos so we're not having to project an image which we know. You'll be much more free. Uh, so he said, well, let's take on personas of different characters or whatever. And, that's, mm -hmm. and then when he came up with the, the name, he and Mal Evans, a roadie, were sitting around uh, and they were eating somewhere and uh, they had these little, they were having their meal. They had these little part uh, packets marked S and P. And Mal said, what does that mean? I said, salt and pepper. We had a joke about that. So I said, Sergeant Pepper, just a variant. Sergeant Pepper, salt and pepper, an oral pun, not mishearing him, but just playing around with the words. And that's when we came up with Sergeant oh, okay. Pepper. And then Lonely Hearts Club, that's a good one. There's a lot of those about. Like that was a, a dating service, mm -hmm. a Lonely Hearts Club right. at the time. Uh, I just strung those together rather than the way you might string together Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, all that culture of the 60s going back to those traveling medicine men. Uh, I just f fantasized. Well, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That'd be crazy enough. Why would a Lonely Hearts Club band uh, club have a band? Uh, anyway, so he took credit for it. Okay. And then May 30th, 1967, last day in May at the United States Penitentiary outside of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, according to FBI files, mm -hmm. an inmate, informer, reportedly heard former Teamsters union boss Jimmy Hoffa mm -hmm. tell two other inmates that he had arranged a contract for murder on Senator Robert F. Kennedy, and that Hoffa said if he ever gets in the primaries or even gets elected, the contract will be fulfilled within six months. Whoa. Kennedy would be assassinated a little more than a year later after winning the California presidential primary. Yep. And that guy heard it. Man. And that is the end of May. And that is the end of time. Of 1967. This has been a long episode. Now we have taken enough of your time. Yes. People. Get out of here. Sheeple. Barry. Sheep. We're going to call them our, our listeners sheep. Sheeple. Sheeple. You sheep that follow us, <laughs> you ridiculous sheep. All you are is sheep that follow every word we say. Oh, my God. Just kidding. You shut up. They don't follow us because, you know, I tell they them. They don't. Tweet. You're right. Yeah, People I tell, don't. I tell everybody to tweet us. They don't tweet Nobody us. tweets Nobody tweets us. Nope, nobody does it. Nobody's tweeting tweet us. us. Tweet us if you can, if you think about it. Maybe our listeners are on Twitter. Maybe okay. we don't have any listeners, Insta, Insta us. We do have listeners. There's at least 100 every That's episode. True. That's true. There's 100 people that are listening to this. Maybe so it's different. tweet it. Maybe tweet they're it. not on Twitter. Maybe they're only on Instagram. Well, Insta, is whatever there, they say. Is there another social media we're forgetting that they're on TikTok? Facebook? I don't know. Maybe they're on TikTok. TikTok us. I don't know. I however, have no idea. You, however you TikTok us, do that. My daughter watches TikTok videos. Just put up a TikTok of you dancing. Yeah. The renegade dance or whatever it's called. I don't get it. All right. Got to go. Yeah, it's time we got out of here because Chuck Berry's in here taking a dump. All right. Bye. Love you guys. Rate, review, subscribe, and all the stuff that you're supposed to say as part of the network and all that stuff. Metro. Mm -hmm. When you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. Said the wind so proud of hearing a vibe. The six days. One more time, I said, we're so tired of hearing a vibe. The six days.
will make me shut my mouth. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Samantha, that's a hickey.